When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to United Hour. Your one-stop shop for all things Manchester United. I'm your host, Nick. I'm Ashwin. And I'm Jamie. Yeah, three-man pod here, which means that we will be getting a quiz at the end of this podcast, right, Jamie? Yeah, absolutely. All ready to go. It's not made an appearance for a while, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. We had, we was, there wasn't Imran's stupid game asked for, but I think Jamie's stupid game works just as well. <laughs> Mine's isn't uh, as stupid. I, I will put that out there. It's Jamie's, Jamie's slightly more, more intelligent game. More factual. But yeah... <laughs> Yeah, we've got a bit of an international podcast for you this week because, yeah, I am recording here sat in Marrakesh. Jamie's in sunny Glasgow. And, of course, we've got Ushwin <laughs> coming sunny. over from... Jesus. <laughs> Ushwin coming from New York. Uh, we're a couple of hours after the end of our Europa League game gone through against Real Betis. We'll be chatting about both of those legs. Also got that Southampton game to talk about in the middle. Uh, I mean, last time we recorded was after that Liverpool dropping. I mean, I'm sure you've both tried to put that out of your minds. <laughs> I uh, I did not listen or read anything for about five days about United after that match. <laughs> I mean, the, the good thing was, obviously, that we went straight out and won that first Betis leg. Yeah. Plus, Liverpool then going and losing at Bournemouth just meant all the Scousers went back in their shells, back under their rocks, and didn't need to hear any of that anymore. So yeah, it was. It was. We said on the last podcast, me and Com said, "Look, what happens in the next week will decide how big this kind of loss is." And all right, it hasn't been absolutely perfect. The perfect thing would have been winning all three of those games. But going through in the Europa League, we got a draw. We'll obviously talk more about that Southampton game. I mean, I still think it was a decent performance with ten men. And yeah, Liverpool dropping points and they've now gone out of the Champions League as well. So we can officially now announce that Liverpool are winning nothing this season. Uh, so yeah, our season is going to be better, whatever's going on over here. So yeah, that's what we said. What happens going forward will meet what that game means. I mean, I'm sure we will still get reminded of that in seasons coming. It was a record loss. We're not going to be able to get away from it, but we can chalk it off as a kind of one-off and look forward to what's coming on. I mean, that was the main thing, really. I mean, Oshwin, we've not really seen that affecting our performances since, have we? Um, no, I, I think the performances since have been pretty good. Uh, the Bet- the Betis matches have been weird. I, 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 didn't, I didn't think we played either of the first halves of those matches that well, but the second half of both of them, I thought we've dominated. Um, or we did dominate, rather, I should say. And then, obviously, the Southampton match is just a strange match. Um, 
I I have no idea how that's a red card. That kind of ruined the match. I suspect we would have won if we were at even strength. I still think we had some chances to win that, even you know down a man. Um, so it's a little bit disappointing that we didn't uh, still able weren't able to get three points. But all in all, I think you you said given the circumstances and all that, um, they've bounced back pretty well. I will say like not that the seven nil was obviously a it was not in that was not a seven nil match. That was they were just so clinical every time they were in they they scored. I think they scored, what, seven on eight shots total. So um, they basically scored every time they shot. Uh, I, I have thought that since the Barcelona two legs that we've been a little bit less, like there's a little bit less about our performances. I think you're starting to see more fatigue set in, um, not just physical, but also mental. Um, the fact that we just don't have a lot of depth, especially in midfield, like you see that. Um, you know that's what makes the Casemiro <laughs> suspension even hurt even more is that uh, you just don't have anybody who can really replace him. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're seeing some of that catch up to the players, um, both in terms of again like their mental and physical performance. There's a little bit more fatigue. Um, you know, there's a little bit less maybe moments of concentration where they're lacking. But like, it's a long season. They've probably gonna end up playing the. I think we've played the most matches in Europe of any side we probably will end up playing more matches than any other team in Europe uh, at the end of the season. So they're going to be, you know, pushed all the way. Um, hopefully they have enough to get across the line and the two cups and finish top four. That would be a really awesome season, all things considered. But um, yeah, just, I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I, I don't think we've seen a, I think we've seen a good reaction since the 7-0, but I'm also, I am a little bit weary of how we've played since those Barcelona legs. Because I, I mean, those were, Yes, they were kind of like a you know to qualify or to get into the knockout round for Europa, but like it, that that meant more than just like qualifying for the round of thirty two in Europa, right? And yeah, I think definitely yeah. beating Barcelona obviously has a lot of weight behind it. Plus, don't forget we obviously went to Wembley and won that cup as well. So yeah, they were like kind of like a heavy trio of matches. And I think there is always going to be a bit of drop off from there. And I think that was a big reason why we did lose that Scouse game like that, because, you know, we'd come off that kind of run of games for them. It meant much more. And, you know, we went through these things on that podcast. But yeah, the main kind of positive is that we've come through it. We've kind of shown that it, we can just say it was a one off blip. We've come out through this Europa tie. I mean, over the two legs. We obviously deserve this massively. I mean, today, Jamie, as I say, we're recording this a couple of hours after the game. I mean, it was it didn't all go in our direction, but in the end, it was like a very professional performance and we saw it out. I mean, it was like almost done in the first leg anyway. We just had to kind of avoid conceding that first goal. I know you're always a bit worried and pessimistic in our old Discord chat and I know you weren't happy about the first half kind of performance. Uh, and yeah, we weren't great. They had early chances, yeah. but in the end... We've got to be happy with how it all rolled. Yeah, it wasn't really um, how we were playing that I was annoyed at in the first half. It was it was the lack of control. It was how many times the ball progressed from the back four to the midfield. And it just seemed like a lot of times we were conceding possession really cheaply. Either we were turning into trouble or the first pass from Casemiro or from Fred or from Bruno, whether they were trying to find Rashford, Palestri, Veghorst, it didn't matter, it just wasn't getting there. It was being really easily intercepted, really easily read. But it was a thoroughly professional performance in the end. It, 
I was listening to Andy Mitten talking about Betis and he was saying like it's a massive stadium, that the fans are really loud, they make it quite boisterous and obviously they're 4-1 down. So if they're going to have any kind of chance, they're going to have to come flying out the traps and get right after us. So that was to be expected that they're going to have chances. Like that that was just going to be par for the course. And it wasn't, as I said, it wasn't really that that I was worried about. It was, it was just when we did get the ball, we just seemed a bit panicky and we just seemed a bit like we were inviting them onto us a little bit and then they grew into it. They had the chance where, um, I can't remember his name, but the guy runs through and puts it by the post. But, One me, yeah. Yeah, that, 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 was, that was a chance. Um, but I th- no, they had a few early yeah. chances, to be fair. Yeah. They had but, a few, grew, made a couple of saves. I thought we grew into it really well, though. And come, and come half-time, we were starting to be the team that was on top and you just thought, just do the same second half. Like how we finish that half, do the same, do the same right from the start of the second half, and all they had off the top of my head in the second half was the header from the corner that the hair punch clear. After that, Rashford has his two chances. He eventually scores, and then we just grow from there, and it just became really professional, really very solid. And we've been good at that this year, for most games where we've needed to be solid, needed to be professional, see the game out. We've become good at that. We've got a good resolute steel about us where it okay the 7-0 clearly impacted us and at times in the Southampton game as well I thought you know the players did look as though they were a bit worried but they saw it through but normally this season we've been very good at seeing games out and I just thought that's what we did tonight we went up 1-0 and that was it game was done just saw it out no injuries no suspensions no other worries just get it done and that's us through. Yeah, that is the big thing. Big thing in this is that that first goal. If they'd scored first, then maybe, yeah. you know, the crowd starts getting heavier. The players start getting a bit of doubt in their mind. And that can make a big difference. Uh, but yeah, I totally agree with you. In the second half of games, Anfield accepted. We have generally uh, been pretty good this season. And yeah, we definitely came out this second half and ran this game out. Did the professional job. I mean, the XG is actually totally in our favour. I mean, people will remember all those best chances but actually it's 1.76 to odds versus 1.06 for them because that you know Rashford had two kind of easy chances Uh, you know the one he scores is way more difficult I think he just decided they were too easy and he couldn't be bothered with those simple tappings he much prefers smashing them in from 30 yards this season Uh, you know it needs a few worldies to his name but yeah Vegor said the one in the first half too right where it comes right at the end yeah, where it uh it comes off the post and he nearly gets it in, but you know, Vegors has the amazing ability to to not score from that position. But um, yeah, look, I, I think uh I think the bet you were talking about seeing out the matches. This team has just shown that when they get their nose ahead, when they have something to protect, that they they do it, they get it done. Um, they're able to get see it across the line. Um, and then you know like. Uh, the only concern I have, real, and I think this just is like a, we all knew this, right? We we need more quality in midfield. Like we, we have thrived in some situations in games that are open, um, because it suits us. Like I think the more chaotic games suit it suits Casemiro. I think it suits Bruno. It suits Rashford when there's more space, um, and the you know it's it's back and forth. I think that suits some of these, uh, the players in a lot of ways, but. Like the like the first fifteen minutes, I thought 
you just want to come in and, and settle everything down, control it, take take the sting out, and you could kind of see like the way we're geared is so vertical, it's so aggressive. And so like, you know, I get I understand you want to go get a goal. You want to get on the front foot, but like there are also just moments where you want to just retain possession and yeah, make absolutely. them work to get it off of you. And um, you know, yeah, we're win- we're winning this game four one. Yeah, uh, we don't need to score a goal. The most important is to stop them from scoring. Right, right. I mean, this game was essentially won in the first leg, and as I said, that game coming straight after Anfield was so important. Uh, and it was brilliant that you know Rashford put us ahead within five minutes in that game. They did come back into it, and Jose Perez scored, and then yeah, at half time we went one one. But in the second half is where we won this tie. Uh, if you're, you, yeah. you know, it kind of seems ages ago now, but there was that beautiful curl goal from Anthony, which is his kind of signature. Uh, I will say he's tried that shot so many times and missed it so many times, <laughs> but at least a couple of them have gone in. And then a goal for Bruno. And then, yeah, finally, Weghorst did get himself on the score sheet <laughs> at Old Trafford. Uh, he is getting a bit of a name as <clears throat> what I call a defensive striker. Uh, <laughs> Which you you know seems a contradiction in terms, obviously, but that's all his best work seems to be. That's such a backhanded compliment. That a defensive. Well, yeah, his his build-up play is actually good. He had a nice turn today in our half where he turned and then he sprayed the ball out wide. I think either maybe to Rashford or uh, Pulisic. I actually remember exactly yeah. the thing you did because I was a bit shocked when he did it. Yeah, but, yeah. and I was like, <laughs> he, he, it's so weird. He's he's like he he looks so clumsy, but he's actually pretty good on the ball. But then like once he gets in front of net. I, it's it all goes out the window. It's just it's it's <laughs> yeah. Look, he doesn't have that finishers quality. I mean, look, we've had other you know we've had so many random strikers recently. Even the likes of say Odion Agallo, who was actually a brilliant finisher, and I actually think wasn't lucky when he was with us not to play more. Veghorst is the opposite. He's doing all the hard work. He's running his bollocks off, but he is not a goal scorer. And you know, me and Com had a bit of a chat about would we like him to stay. Com said I wouldn't mind him as a bench option. I do not want to see him. At Old Trafford. Um, let's just have a quick, quick one word from you two. Do you want Weghorst to stay next season, Oshwin? Um, sure. Yeah, I like him. All right, Jamie. Yeah, I'll go sure as well. Yeah, There's he can't be the only. He can't be the only striker. He can't be the only striker. I'll put it that way. No, no. I think there has to be somebody <laughs> see, else. That cracks and, me up, uh, right? Because the, the commentators keep saying, "Oh, he's played every every game since he came," and I'm like, because Martial is such a signal, you literally can't rely on him at all he, he wasn't in the squad today right exactly didn't travel yeah. so yeah. when people keep no, going on about he's, him, he's back in training but he's not ready so to people going on about him yeah. starting every single game I'm like because he has to there's literally nobody else he has he's, to play our... I mean obviously the next option would be that Rashford is playing up front and somebody else comes in wide I mean it takes Rashford away from what is his best position and Weghorst has come out and Rashford has obviously been playing up front in second halves of games, last half an hour and stuff like that. So, yeah, he has been doing that. He is the canon. After that, I don't know, we start throwing Anthony Alanga up front or something bizarre like that, <laughs> oh, which is obviously uh, not what we want to be seeing. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, that's the thing. People still do kind of recognise the amount of hard work he's doing. He could be an okay squad option to sit around on the bench. I do not want to see him starting as much as he is, and I don't think any of us would do, but that's Vegorst anyway. I mean, the other name that I want to just get your quick thoughts on is Pelestri, who had his first start today. I thought well-deserved for him to finally get a start. He's kind of pushed himself ahead of Anthony Alanga in the pecking order, because earlier in the season, 
and Langer was getting quite a few of those kind of bench minutes and even the odd start. Uh, whenever Palestri's come in for his little kind of cameos, he has done well. He's looked exciting. He's always like beaten a couple of players. And it is a big difference from having somebody who's a naturally right-sided kind of winger, uh, right-footed, whereas Anthony's always looking to cut inside. We know he's super one-footed. So yeah, it does like give the defender on that side something totally different to think about when they've changed mid-match as well. Uh, but I like Palestri. I mean, I said when the World Cup was going on that I'm, I would assume that he's going to leave. You know, if a player's playing pretty regularly for Uruguay and getting no minutes for us at all, I kind of thought he might have even left in the winter window, but he stuck around. He's been patient. He's been given his chance. And yeah, I mean, he didn't have the greatest game today, but there was flashes of what he can do. I mean, what, what do you think of Palestri, Jamie? I like him. I like that he's very direct. And I like that he's got pace. And he he's just something different, especially on that right-hand side, to anything we've got. He takes the defender on. Instead of kind of just cutting it back and looking to pass inside or to trick his way inside, he's actually looking for one-twos. The amount of times that he kind of looks for the... The quick pass, and before he's even before the other players even received the ball, he's ran in behind because he's constantly looking to try and stretch the back line and drive at his man. I like that. I like that he's brave with the ball. As I said, he takes men on and and, and likes to have a goal. I can't believe he got booked tonight. I, I, that's that, that's we've had some bad decisions. He won decisions. the ball. He won we, the challenge. We've had some bad decisions recently. That that might be the worst. When I saw the replay, I was like, I can't believe he's been booked for that. And as much as, yeah, we want to see more from him, Ten Hag kind of summed it up after the game when he said, after he put a couple of crosses in, his confidence just started building a little bit. And in the second half, he didn't just run down the line. He he started driving inside. And then for that Rashford chance where Bruno puts Rashford through, it's Palestri that takes the ball wide, drives all the way through, holds his man off, and then squares it inside to Bruno. And I would like to see a lot more of him. Because I just think it's it's just a different option and it's nice to have somebody with pace who wants to run it man and hit the byline. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, it will be interesting to see what happens with Pilestri going forward. Uh, I mean, he's had a couple of loans. He actually does know La Liga relatively well because he's been out on loan there for a while. But I, I like I said, I thought he was going to leave because of his lack of chances, but he has been there. I mean, we've seen Garnacho as well, slowly introduced. Both of them have kind of done well from the bench. Garnacho's often had this accusation of only doing well from the bench, whereas, you know, when he starts, you maybe don't see as much. And maybe Palestri's, you know, a bit in the kind of same boat. That, but it's great to have those impact subs. It's great to have those players that can come off the bench and make a difference in 10 minutes. And they're both young. They've both got plenty of time to improve and come and be like, you know, the kind of first team is there. But yeah, it now seems that Jaden Sancho apparently is not a winger option anymore. He's our kind of reserve number 10. So yeah, to have another winger in the ranks is definitely useful. And and we need it because Garnacho's hurt now. He's might yeah. be out for four to, four to six weeks. So we need Pilistri. Um, like you need these squads. But yeah, I mean, I thought Pilistri played really well today and he was unlucky. I mean, he, he got in behind, but uh, Rashford overhit a pass in the first half um, when he was through. I, I thought he played really well. I thought he looked dangerous. He looks confident uh, with the ball. He looks... Like, even when he's receiving the ball with back to goal in our half, he's always trying to get it to somebody else. He's not just trying to, you know, draw a foul or, or just kick it ahead. He, he's always playing positively. Um, he looks, he, he's just such a natural winger, and, and we haven't had that really in, I don't even know the last time. I mean, who was the last, was it Valencia? 
Nani, like this is the last. Nani, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, like like he, we haven't had a winger like that, and so I just think, um, you know, like in any squad, like you want different profiles, and he gives us a different profile from what we have there, and and, you know, we've seen Rashford when he plays on the right. It's not for every, like it's just not comfortable for him to me. It, it looks pretty obvious when Rashford plays on the right; he doesn't look comfortable. Whereas with Polistri, you think you he looks at home there. It doesn't look like a a right footed left winger playing on the right just to do a job. It looks like this is his position. Um, and you know, even early in the match, he he got in almost within the first minute and and played a ball mm-hmm. across. And I think Rashford went in near post run. If he had just gone on the far post, he might have got a might have had a had a chance in there. But um, just having those options and the different varieties is so big. And, and it's also just like, look, we know that ultimately the goal is to build a title contending team at United. If it's, you know, we know that the budget and all that stuff is, is part of it. But like, if you don't have to buy at that position because you have a polystry, um, you have Anthony, obviously, who you've already purchased, but then you also have Diallo, who's on loan. Like, if these guys can come in and give you solid contributions, that's great. That's that's huge, and that means that you can allocate your resources elsewhere. And also, like the, I just wanted to mention you, you mentioned earlier, like people were. I have seen that you know Garnacho gets accused of like, oh, he only comes in and produces when he's coming off the bench. And I, I think Ten Hag made, made a little joke about that too after one of his starts. But um, who cares? He's eighteen. Like yeah, I think it's exactly. fine if if he comes if he come, if he's coming in off the bench and consistently changing games, impacting games, giving us goals, giving us assists creating chances like I don't give a sh- I don't give a shit like that's that sounds that's great that's awesome and that's more than I would have expected from him at this point just cuz I don't you know I I wouldn't have expected an 18 year old academy player to to even produce what he has and he's not just produced some goals and assists he you can see that defenses are they they have to account for him he like the he gets attention and for a player of his age to already be commanding attention um and the focus of opposing defenses and, and defenders like i think that says volumes about the talent he has and the impact that he's already had yeah yeah absolutely and all right palestri is a few years older i think he's 21 but that's still very young so yeah plenty of time for him to come yet and yeah let's not forget palestri did actually come off the bench and he got the assist for that fourth mm-hmm. Weghorst goal in the first match so, yeah, he did already make these impacts. So, yeah, he was well deserving of getting this start. And I think he did well enough. I think, as I said, Anthony Alango was getting a lot of these minutes earlier in the season. He kind of had his breakthrough under Ralph Raniak. He seems to have kind of lost his way. And I do think it's absolutely fair for Palestri to be ahead of him in the pecking order at the moment. I thought he, yeah, he looked good be today, interesting. I thought Alango actually looked pretty good when he came on today. Yeah, yeah, he came on. He had a few yeah. minutes at the end. Looked like He always does like hard work. He's just not sure if he has the quality yeah. that we need. Uh, but yeah, one of these, not all of them are going to stay. Alanga, Pilestri. Yeah, as you say, Ahmad Diallo is currently having an amazing season at Sunderland. So yeah, in this summer, there will be some decisions. And personally, I'd say probably take the money for Alanga if somebody's yeah, got a decent offer from there. And maybe the others, let's give them a chance and we'll see what happens from there. Martial will be like a new signing. (laughs) (laughs) Every month he is. Uh, But yeah, look, we will take a quick break there. Come back, talk a bit more about that Southampton game and some of the other things going on around Manchester United. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Back for part two of the show here. Uh, so look, as I said, we've got through in the Europa League. That was our... I, I, as I've said on this podcast before that I kind of wasn't too bothered if we went out of this because we were like solid in top four already. I was worried about the amount of travel, the amount of games. But after we lost at Anfield, we had to win that next game and we had to get through this tie. All of a sudden became a lot more important. So yeah, we've done that. We're through. We don't know yet who all our options are because we're recording while some of the other matches are still going on. <clears throat> but yeah, it is going to get serious now. We're in the last eight. There's going to be Sevilla, Juventus. Arsenal, maybe a couple of others. So yeah, it starts looking actually like a kind of Champions League lineup. Um, but yeah, in the middle of that game, we did have that Southampton game. Uh, we obviously all thought this was going to be an, a definite three points, you know, then bottom of the league. But it all got a bit messed up by obviously the rest card. I mean, we can't talk about much in this game apart from that Casemiro red card that totally changed the whole picture of this match. And there's obviously been a lot of column inches given now to VAR, to what's going on. But it's just difficult to really understand how some of these decisions are made. Uh, I mean, you can even, I can accept that Casemiro might get sent off for that. But then you look at the tackle. Sporting just scored a ridiculous goal. Like <laughs> all right, oh. so it might not be Arsenal. <laughs> so it might not be Arsenal. <clears throat> no, yeah. Sorry. We'll, 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 like I said, we we don't know. We don't know who's going to be yet. So yeah, we'll wait till the next podcast to talk about who else we're playing. Uh, Sorry to interrupt but, yeah. you. See, <laughs> Casemiro. You can even almost accept that being a red card. I mean, ten years ago, is a player's won the ball. You don't even talk about a foul, a red card. Nowadays. People start talking about dangerous play, following through. But in the same match, when you see, as we talked about, Garnacho is scissor kicked down. He's now out for several weeks. Whereas the player that uh, Casemiro went in on, like, yeah, he got a bit hurt, but he went up, he kept playing on. Whereas that's considered like dangerous play. And, you know, the most ridiculous thing on VAR is this thing where they give the referee a two-second slow-motion replay to see again and again and again. Like, you can make the most innocuous of things look like the worst, most disgusting professional foul ever by doing that. That is the thing that needs to be stopped. Like, the ref, if he does go and see it, needs to see the whole kind of run, what's going in real time. Not like slow-motion. Oh, just keep watching his studs go into his ankle 15 times until you think it's a red card. I mean, this is really the problem, and it's been a problem for us before again. I mean, yeah, I remember one like with McTominay on Son and things like that where you replay it, you replay it, replay it. But it's just nonsense. I mean, we go back as well. Like, we haven't mentioned him for a while, but Christian Eriksen has obviously been out for ages. 
for a tackle that wasn't even a foul, and he's out for months and, and, and months and months. And that was a scissor. That was a scissor Shoot, challenge by yeah. Carroll at the halfway line. And it's 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 like I thought the Garnacho one. It's a bad tackle, but like I kind of understand why you would not call that and why that's not reviewed. But yeah. the Carroll one was so bad. It was just obvious in real time. And then it, they, you see the replay, and it's like, why is this not being... It wasn't even checked. And that was the thing that was so annoying about that match. Because the Casemiro thing, like, fine, you check it, you think it's a red card. I think that's... I, it doesn't actually make any sense to me because Webb gave him a... He, gave, he cautioned him. So he saw the yeah. challenge, he, and his assessment was, this is a bad challenge, I'm giving him a yellow. At that point, VAR should not step in because he's seen he's you're supposed to flag something if you think the ref didn't see it. He saw it. He saw exactly what happened and he made the call. Yeah. So that's bullshit that he that he that he now gets to go back. And you're right. They like you could see you know they zoom in like when Webb or whatever his name it, uh, Anthony Taylor. Yeah, when he when he's over there looking at the screen, you see them just showing this like half a second clip. It's basically just a still image of Casemiro's foot hitting him like above, but it doesn't show. That he he won the actual challenge. He won the ball, and then his foot goes over the ball, and then into the into his leg. Um, it's it's a crazy decision. And then, but then to compound that, I thought there were at least there were three obvious penalties we should have had. And and, yeah. and it's like even if you want to nitpick and say this one wasn't, <laughs> that one was, to have three and get zero is insane. And I think no, I don't think any of them were checked by VAR. No, none of them will. All yeah, of them. Which just, is no, yeah, it's. Fine, it's and that, it's ridiculous. And that's it's why, just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. That's why for ages I've said, like, I've said it multiple times on the podcast. I've said it, I don't know how many times on the, on the Red Calf. I don't understand why Ashwin watches basketball, NFL. I watch rugby. We both watch cricket. <laughs> I don't understand how many sports can have technology the vast majority of the time, there is literally no issues. None. It's used in the correct way. Even if you don't agree with the decisions, it's used in the right way. And I'm fed up, kind of, the reason that I get told, no, it shouldn't be like rugby because of this. That's, that's, that's an absolute nonsense. Because it's been proved in the four days or whatever it is since that game on Sunday, how they, they, they just don't know what they're doing. So we've already said, Taylor saw the tackle. He's booked them. So why has VAR got involved? What like that 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 just doesn't make sense. They said the, the parameter is this clear and obvious error. There was no clear and obvious error, none. So if he's referred them to the to the screen saying, now nah, you need to go back and check that, I don't understand why there isn't just a process to say this is why it's being checked. Furthermore, make it like rugby. Where the VAR does not get involved, and the only the only way he gets involved without the referee's discretion is if there is an incident off the ball of violent conduct. So if somebody literally punches somebody else, or if there's a no harms tackle, as they call it, and the referee might not see it because that's dangerous, especially with head contact and things like that. Nothing else is referred by the TMO to the ref. Everything is from the ref to the TMO. So the ref could give a try and then say, do you know what, I just need to check something there. Was there a forward pass? Was there a knock-on? Was there an illegal tackle in the build-up to the try? Otherwise, I'm given the try. So the TMO will sit and check the angles and say, no, I can't see anything. Right, fine, try, move on. I don't understand why they can't just say it's the referee's discretion. And if he needs to refer something, he'll ask. 
he goes upstairs and says, uh, I'm happy to give a penalty there. Can you just back me up and just confirm that it is? The fact that refs stand around for like a minute with his hand in their ear waiting for somebody to tell them something, you could reach a decision in 20 seconds. The v, like if, if you're wanting to persist with this VAR thing, you could have 20 seconds of the ref just saying, uh, hang on, I think you need to go and look at that. But the I, whole I think thing's I, just nonsense. I, I just think it's like, they looked at that Casemiro, and the other thing, I mean, I, I can't believe Anthony Taylor should have been fucking relegated after that match. He was atrocious. They had, there was one minute of extra time. I think he might. I think he might yeah. actually get. There is like, was, I think he's definitely under it, review. It was, that, that's one of the most ridiculously shambolic. He gave one minute of extra time in the first half after they took like three minutes to review the Casemiro yeah. thing. And then, yeah, and then yeah, in the yeah. second half, he gave four minutes when there clearly should have been like six or seven. He was atrocious throughout the match. Um, he it Honestly, it did not matter what was going to happen. There was no way he was ever giving us a penalty. He had decided that before the match that he was not. And it was like, you know, it's this. It, it's almost like we're being punished now because there was that stretch, right, where we were winning penalties all the time. And and then Klopp complained about it. And then since then, we just can't get a penalty no matter what. And, and like, you know, again, it's it's not even like, yeah, you can have a bad performance. But when you have VAR and, and the VAR doesn't help him out when like, okay, I can see how a ref doesn't give any of those penalties in real time, right? But if you're going to be the VAR and you have the gall to tell him to go look at the Casemiro challenge, then and but then you are but then you don't check any of the penalties, that is a joke. And that's honestly that's so that's such shoddy officiating. It's questionable. Yeah, I mean, the worst one, the worst one for me was the handball. Like I cannot believe that it's not looked at. Like, you know, the ball is going to Weghorst. He's, he maybe he's not going to score, as we talked about <laughs> Weghorst, but he's definitely having a shot on target. But yeah, the game is just so blatant. And like, you know, the way the rules are now, and this is the thing that nobody understands what the handball rules are anymore. Nobody knows what exactly you can do, you can't do in a tackle. And all of a sudden, like the rules have been changed. Like all of a sudden it's like, oh, the studs are up. Like, it doesn't matter. I mean, you can still make a clean tackle with your studs up. It doesn't mean that it's dangerous just because your studs are up. Whereas we've seen that a kind of scissor tackle is much worse. Did you see the handball that was given for Chelsea in Champions League last week? Uh, it, it, no, it, it, it was like... Oh, yeah, I remember that. No, no, nobody, nobody was even asking for this. Nobody on Chelsea's team was even asking for this. It's like, he, they both go up to challenge for it. His arm, the defender's arm on Dortmund, his arm is it's up, but it's... It's like, you know, when you jump, your arm is a little bit out to the right. And so the Chelsea player heads it. It goes down into his arm. They clear it. And again, not a single... There's If you watch the replay, there's... Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I did see it, yeah. actually. Yeah, right on yeah. the edge of the box. Yeah. And, and there's... That's it. Look, it just, there's the, that is the problem. The inconsistency. Nobody knows what you can do, what you can't do. I mean, anyone who's listened to this podcast will know I was against VAR right from the start. I never wanted it. And now it's actually way worse than I ever even expected. I mean, I didn't want it because of how it was going to slow down the game, how it was going to take away the match from people in the stadium. I never expected it to be this bad. I never expected it to be like this many wrong decisions. And, you know, we said at the start, at the start, oh, maybe they're going to get better over time, but they're not getting better. They keep messing around with the rules. They keep trying to clarify things and actually just make things more and more confusing. Uh, but I mean, look, anyway, I actually did think that we played pretty well with 10 men. We could have still won that game. It was even. It was pretty even, really. They had chances as well. But I thought we put in a decent 10-man performance. 
couldn't really ask much more for that. I mean, in the end, I guess we had to be happy to come out with a point. It's a shame that we talk all about VAR and all about those things when, you know, there could be a lot more interesting things to be talking about. But as I, I said, McTominay because... played really well. Yeah, he came in and did his bit and he probably will be needed. I mean, that is the worst thing now that Casemiro is going to be missing for four matches because he already had a three-match ban. This time he gets four matches. That that is another thing, right? (coughs) I I can't express how how pissed off that makes me because that means he's been banned for three games for basically grabbing a guy's jersey round the corner. Less than a week later, Everton play Liverpool and there's players literally grabbing each other round the face, round the neck, going mad, nobody sent off. One still image of him with his hands like that basically gets him sent off, so he misses three games. The the funniest the second, thing about that was Will Hughes and him were joke like they were they were like talking and joking about it after, like right after. It's a nonsense. It basically means he's missing so many games for two of the most ridiculous red cards you will ever see and even in the game tonight on BT Sport I was getting annoyed watching it because the main commentator kept saying oh he's going to be banned for four games I mean he's disciplinary record even Robbie Savage at one point turned and said to the comment, the main commentator he's been bloody unlucky he's <laughs> really yeah. unlucky the, the sending off against Southampton nobody will ever convince me that's a red card never because that's basically saying you can't tackle anymore because if you tackle the ball win the ball, and then you're unlucky that your foot literally bounces off the ball and makes contact with the other player, you're going to get sent off. Because then guess what happens? Southampton played, Brentford, Lavia makes the exact same type of tackle, collides with the Brentford player, and nothing happens. It's not even referred. And it, he was it, higher up. He was higher up the leg higher too. up on the leg. Yeah. And, but even then I was watching it going, that's not a red card. Because yeah, he does the same so, thing. Yeah. And so it's, yeah. it's just, uh, it's so frustrating. So frustrating. And that's the thing, it's not getting better. If anything, it's kind of getting worse, getting more complicated, more inconsistency. So I really don't know where they're going to go with VAR. It feels like this might be the worst VAR year Mm -hmm. since we've had it. This feels awful. Yeah, I remember the first year it was bad. And the second year we kind of said, oh, they're getting better. They've kind of worked it all out. Now all of a sudden it's gone even (laughs) downhill and it's even worse. My thing is, I think think the one thing, if they're going to have VAR, what they should do is, they it should not be a like there should be one or two refs that all they do they don't do matches they're not like they just do yeah, VAR. yeah no what they actually need to do is they need to get ex players involved in this they should not actually even have referees doing it ex players should be the guys in the VAA room they're the guys who understand what is uh, accident and handball and what is a real handball they're the guys who understand what is really a dangerous tackle and what is just winning ex-players should be the ones who are getting employed to deal with VAR now yeah. I think they are the ones who and, need to be and, coming and doing and this and whoever it is I, I, it's just it needs to be one or two guys and that's all they do they don't do anything else but sit in the VAR room on match days because what you have now is like I think Mariner was the VAR for us and then the, but the day before he's actually officiating a match and so there's a totally different VAR for that it's like why do that just have one of these guys i don't care who it is as long as it's the same it's the same person every single week cuz that will actually make it more consistent because now what you have is like okay today it's mariner today it's anthony taylor today it's whoever it is right and it's like you just get these 
we know that there are certain refs that call things tight. There are certain refs that let things play more. So, but you're so you're changing who that is every single week. It's just a that's a huge problem. And I think that's I think that's one of the biggest problems with VAR and why it's so inconsistent. But one of the things they need to do, this is what they absolutely have to do in the summer, is there needs to be a very very clear decision made by whoever it is, the PGMOL, whatever, on the handball law. For red card tackles, everything. Because even like, going back to the handball from Sunday, <laughs> Dermot Gallagher, I felt like I was being gaslighted watching Sky Sports News because they were talking about that and he kept saying it's hit his chest. As he's saying it's hit his chest, you literally just see it hit his, hit his arm, his chest, his arm again. And... Not only that, and it's something I never, I never even thought about it until I was talking about it to my brother. So the day before, Liverpool get that penalty against Bournemouth because I can't even, I can't even remember who it was that headed the ball. Heads the ball against the Bournemouth player's arm from a yard away, and it's a penalty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That incident where Rashford crosses the ball, he's literally on the other side of the box, so he's ten yards away from him. And the guy, the guy handballs it. So even even that tells you he's further away. <coughs> he's got more times to he's got more time to react to get his arm out the road. He doesn't. It hits his arm, and they don't even refer it. That's why I'm saying there needs to be just. I don't know how they're going to do it because they've obviously lost a lot of the trust. I mean, yeah, in... but the problem is, Jamie. Whenever they try and clarify these rules, they actually make it worse. Oh, I, I they know. just every Absolutely, time they do, they try, but they, they just make something. it worse and worse. And they, yeah, but that's it. Every time they try and come up with these like clarifications, doing the, it actually makes it worse. And it was better where there was some just leeway given to the ref to decide: is this, is this, is this not? But anyway, anyway, look. Enough about VAR. We all say it's nonsense. I do not want to talk about VAR anymore. Uh, but yeah, look, we came out that game nil-nil. As I say, in the end, I think it was a pretty decent point. Uh, I mean, I did want to give another mention to some kind of sad news from that day. Uh, I'm sure a lot of the United family should have seen the passing away of Ian Sterling, who is a very important kind of part of our kind of fan base off the pitch. I mean, he's been involved with Must, the Man United Supporters Trust. He's in the fans' forum. He was also the ISLO, which is the Independent Supporters Liaison Officer. When anybody like season ticket holders have problems with tickets and all, he was the go-to guy. And he's been doing that job for years and years and years, helping especially matchgoers, but all of the kind of United fans all around. And yeah, he passed away very suddenly. Uh, he was somebody I knew personally. I've known him like relatively well. I've had been to matches with him. I actually remember going to his 50th birthday. And that's what made me kind of realise that, yes, he's not that old at all. He's passed away at age 57, which is no age at all. Um, and yeah, I think it was really, I think United did quite well that day. Yeah. That uh, it was the first time ever that I've seen the team wearing a black armbands in recognition of a fan. I don't think I've ever seen that happen before. You know, you see it for ex-players, you see it when there's like important things going on in the world. But yeah, all the players are wearing black armbands in recognition of Ian Sterling. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's it's a shame as well that he doesn't get to see the Glazers finally leaving the club. I mean, it does look like we're getting moving on in that thing. And he, of course, has been somebody who'd been pushing a lot for that since day one the Glazers came in. Uh, I mean, I will be honest and say that actually me and Ian have had a lot of disagreements about things like the Glazers over the years, but he was somebody who always discussed things with total respect. 
There wasn't ever like any falling out over it. You know, often there's too many splits in our fan base over these kind of things. But you'd always have a good, logical, rational discussion with him. I always enjoyed like debating these kind of things with him as well. We often had like differences of opinion over things like boycotting and stuff like that, where we weren't always on the same wavelength. But we could always discuss it face to face like adults, give our opinions and, you know, we talk about it. And yeah, I really always like discussing these things with him. Uh, the one great thing that will always stay in the ground as a memory of the work he did is the safe standing section. I mean, uh, Old Trafford is, you know, the first stadium to bring back standing. We have that. I think, Jamie, have you been in my seats in the standing section? Yeah, I have. And that whole, yeah. that whole end, when I, when I was there for that game, was it was just brilliant to be part of that. Just constant atmosphere throughout the whole game. That whole section standing up. And I've heard, certainly over the last week or so, about more about the state of the safe standing and even he was how involved he was, you know, at the end, at the Stratford end, the bit that's going to change with the executive seating, that's going back to normal seating. Yeah. And I've heard just so many people just <coughs> giving him a lovely tribute saying, you know, as you said, he, he he didn't agree with everybody because obviously that was, like his job was to try and make the best decisions he could for Manchester United and the supporters. But everybody says he was a lovely guy, a respectful guy. So even if you didn't agree on a particular topic, you came away seeing the other person's point of view. And No, that was absolutely and, it. That was his big point. He was somebody who kind of tried to bring the fan yeah. base together. There's often splits in our fan base. You know, people talking about the Glazers, they don't agree, and people often end up getting too emotional. But at the end, you know, he always knew that we're all Manchester United fans. And whatever happens, that's the main thing. And as I said, that is the, going to be the lasting memory, that safe standing section, which will always be yeah. there. And United did a great tribute as well. They put a wreath of flowers on his seat in that section on that Southampton match. Uh, and yeah, you know, thoughts go out to his wife and his daughter who are left, as I said, he's gone like way too early, only age 57. But yeah, he will be remembered. And I do know that Must are working with his family and there will be some kind of memorial or funeral service uh, announced in the coming weeks. Um, and yeah, we will definitely put that out on our thing for anyone who's in the Manchester area. But yeah, the more people you talk to, the more yeah. people knew him. I mean, as I said, I was lucky enough to come across him and kind of knew him through other people. But so many stories come out from all round of it. People he's helped whose tickets weren't working or had issues with payments and years and years and years worth of getting involved in the legal side. But yeah, I do say, like I said, I think the club did very well on how they recognised how important he was to the fan base. Uh, I think that's probably a good moment for us to take another break before we come back for the last part of the show. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So we're back for part three and the last part of this show. 
Uh, we will finish off with Jamie's stupid quiz. Uh, before that, I did want to give a shout out as well to Manchester United women. Uh, we mentioned it on the last show. They had a massive top of the table clash against Chelsea women. Uh, it was first versus second at the time. Unfortunately, we lost 1-0. Uh, Chelsea showed that bit of extra kind of experience, bit of extra quality. It was actually a really beautiful goal from Sam Kerr, who is one of the best players at this level and smashing them in every week. But we United women played pretty well, but just like I said, did not have that kind of cutting edge, did not have that bit of experience in these big matches. Uh, and that is where we've lost it. We've never actually got even a point off Chelsea in any season so far. So Chelsea have gone back top of the table. United women need to regroup. There's going to be a big battle now for the top three Champions League places. Uh, if Arsenal win their game in hand, it basically puts us, Manchester City and Arsenal, all on the same amount of points. Um, and I hope we can still hold on and see this through because, yeah, that is that was always the main aim for this season, was top three. We started thinking about chances off winning the league and things like that, but we was probably a bit too early for this squad. Uh, we've got some big games coming up. There will be six-pointers again against Manchester City, against Arsenal coming up. I was just going to say, it is, it is in yeah. their own hands, though, isn't it? Because there's <coughs> those two huge games against both City at home and Arsenal at home, so... They've had a tremendous season and it would be great for them to finish in the top three and get that Champions League football. I think that'll help in the contract negotiations with a few of the players as well, if they can Oh, it's absolutely vital, yeah. I don't think we will retain those, you know, and it's Anya Badger, it's Alessia Russo, it's Mary Earps. I've seen a few of them have already kind of said they want to stay, but... It's just essential that getting that Champions League football, and you do hope out of the two games against City and Arsenal, ideally they need to be winning at least one of those. If they win one of those, I think I think yeah. they'll be confident of getting over the line. But it's two huge games. It is. It is. And it does look like Chelsea are probably going to win the league again, but they do have the yeah, strongest squad. They do have the most experienced. So it's not that much of a surprise but yeah we are getting closer uh, and yeah we will try and get back on Natalie who's been on before to give a bit more in depth on Man United women uh, but with that Jamie I think I will pass on to you to do your stupid quiz uh, I know Oshwin loves quizzes yeah, right no. I think I do remember you failing very miserably I most in of the... these pretty miserably <laughs> I, I remember the shirts quiz the yeah. shirts numbers and Imran said, who's number one? And you didn't even know who that was number one. And I was like, okay, this is not going to go well. This is not going to go Oh, man. Dad, shirt numbers are not my thing. Right, yeah. well, there's no short numbers in this, I don't think. Let me just double check, actually. A wonderful game of football in which Manchester United have won convincingly. But it was a breathtaking match. Absolutely brilliant. Shocking. I am. I am disgusted with it. No, there isn't. That's fine. All right, um, start us off. I'll go first, I'll go first. And by the way, yeah, for anyone who's listening to us, this podcast, we are going to now posting it up on YouTube. So if you actually want to see Jamie flipping his <laughs> Man United yeah. Old Trafford coin, yeah. then head over to YouTube and you can actually see it live in action. Right, here we go. Question one, Nick. Who was Man United's only summer signing from Spurs in the summer of 2006? Michael Carrick. Yeah, well done. Ding, ding, ding. One to Nick. Ashwin, who did Man United beat 5-1 on the opening day of that 06-07 season? Middlesbrough. I'm afraid that's incorrect. Nick? Uh, 
I I don't know. I'll give a stab in the dark at Aston Villa. No, it was Fulham. That was the game. Mm. Mind after the World Cup in 06, there was the whole Ronaldo Rooney thing. And there was always ah, about the. Yeah, yeah. Did they going to fall yeah. out? Would they be able to play? <coughs> and obviously, I think it was Ronaldo scored twice that day. Rooney scored as well. So, yeah, it was that. That was obviously the, the season we won the title after whatever it was three years. So it was off to a good start that year. Right back to you, Nick. Which player scored versus Liverpool in this 06-07 season on his five hundredth appearance? Brian Giggs. I'm afraid that's incorrect. Ashwin, do you want to have a go? Was it O'Shea? No, that's wrong. I'm afraid it was Paul Scholes. Oh. No, I mean, it was going to be my second guess, but I went for gigs. All right, go for it. <laughs> right, Ashwin, in the 08-09 season, which midfielder scored in both games at the start of the campaign? Was it Fletcher? Yes, it was Darren Fletcher. Well done. There you go. Fair enough. <clears throat> That's 1-1 one, one after four questions. <laughs> Here we go. Sudden death. Nick. Federico Makeda made himself famous for his impact in the 08-09 season and helped United to the title. He scored the winner against Villa and who was the other team he scored the winner against? Sunderland. Yeah, straight in there. There we go. Right, Ashwin, press on. Wayne Rooney scored from inside his own half away to which team? Uh, For Man United. West Ham. And that's right as well. Boom. Right. We actually do have to use the tiebreaker. Right. (laughs) Sudden death. Sudden death. (laughs) Right. So this one is a bit like, you know, the tiebreaker distance questions you get, where you say, how far is it from here, London? You give me the closest one. So... Nick, you first, and then I'll get Ashwin's answer. How many appearances did Ryan Giggs make for Man United? 600. Ashwin? 732. And Ashwin is the winner with the closest guess. The actual answer was 963. Oh, yeah. No way, yeah. yeah. I actually just realised that you said that 500 was on skulls, and that was in, like... Oh, wait, so yeah, should have actually realised it was going to be a lot, lot more than I, that. Uh, so yeah, pretty that's, poor guess. Is that total me. appearances that Giggs made? Yeah, 963 appearances in all competitions for Man United. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. All right, well done, Ashwin. That's your like, first uh, victory in, <laughs> yeah. uh, in the quizzes, well right? Done, <laughs> I think uh, Giggs, Giggs played 632 for Man United in the Premier League, so... Yeah. yeah, I think actually, that, I'm definitely saying that's what I had in my mind, I, even I, though it's probably not what I had the 32 <laughs> right. I just guessed the, uh, you know, I was 100 off. Dreadful. Dumb and dumber, I'd call them. I thought they were really poor. I thought they were a joke. Really abysmal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. And uh, we will, we, of course, whenever we get three of us on the pod, we will try and throw out one of our quizzes. I know it's one of the things we always get messages for, asking for more quizzes. Uh, I know Imran kind of ran out of his kind of stupid formats, but I think he has, I think he did say that he's got something in his pocket for whenever we do get three on the show again. Uh, but yeah, I think that about rounds us up for this week, as I say. We're glad we've rolled on in the Europa League. I mean, we'll give a quick mention, actually. We are playing Fulham on the weekend in the FA Cup. 
I had asked this question before, actually, just for the two of you. Which which is more important to you, the FA Cup or the Europa League, Jamie? Europa League. Yeah. Europa, Europa League. League. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fair. It is the more difficult one to win. But yeah, it is funny that because, you know, I remember the Europa League. We used to deride it. It was like a laughing thing. We didn't even want to be in it. It was the Thursday night thing. Uh, but it has changed in significance since they started giving out that Champions League place. Absolutely. All of a sudden, teams take it seriously. And you see, you know, this year there is going to be the Nate Sevillas, your Juventuses. I don't it's, know what's going on in the Arsenal game, or should we our Arsenal going it's through? It's 1-1 with... Uh, it'll, it'll go to extra time. There's a minute left. In, in All right, yeah. And look, there's still other names in there, Romas, and yeah, there's plenty the of The games have been better this uh, year in Europa League too. The actual, like, football has been better. Oh, yeah, they've, they've been far better. They've been much more exciting. and quite unpredictable as well. And I just think over the last certainly five years or so, with the quality of teams that don't get in the Champions League and go into Europa League, it the the Champions League spot at the end of it, that prize, that absolutely makes it worthwhile. But even just the quality of team you play just yeah, makes it a better. bit more worthwhile as well. Where you think, yeah, we've actually beat really good teams along the way to win it. So I would quite like to win it again, yeah. Yeah, no, I did it like you know. I did enjoy winning it that Jose year. You know, it would just go up in kudos. We might, yeah, we might get him. still roll on. We might get him. Yeah, Roma is still in there. I know. Yeah, Feyenoord is still in there with Robbie Van Persie's over there. Did I you think. go to that final? I'm right in say the 2017. Yeah. No, I didn't actually. I did not go to Stockholm. Uh, I think we're always, this year it's in Budapest, which is actually yeah, a great city and I uh, would look to go to that one perhaps. I think it's see. a good ground, that uh, one. I've, I've, I know a few people that have been to the ground and said it's a really good ground to go to. Yeah, well, it's definitely a great city. I'd be quite happy to go back there uh, being a beer aficionado. So it's a fun city. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, let's see if we can get out to Budapest. But as I say, yeah, we do have Fulham and the FA Cup coming up. Another home game. We've had an absolute ridiculous run of home fixtures. Uh, but yeah, kind of keeps it good for the team. Look, if we can, again, normally I'd say let's get a changed lineup for that, but we then go into international break. So I don't know who's going to need rest and all, but maybe, you know, it is a chance for some other players to get a bit of minutes. I mean, you think of international break, we will record in that international break and we've not got much time to touch on the whole ownership situation at the moment. We do know that there is meetings going on this week that Qatari delegation have been at Old Trafford today and we believe Sir Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos will be at Old Trafford tomorrow. There's also been Elliot Hedgefund, who we don't want to have anything to do with the club, have also been sniffing around in what capacity exactly, we're not sure. Did you see the news just quickly on the Qatari thing? Yeah, it looks like they're going to make a bid, another bid yeah, this week or apparently something. apparently they've come in, they've looked at the training ground, they've looked at the ground itself, they've looked at some of the other facilities, and speculation and sources only, according to quite a few different news outlets, but they've said that they've been led to believe the Qataris are now basically all in, and are going to put a second bid in. Well, that is, the, that, that is the process. That's the normal process. The initial thing was like, just showing yeah. your interest, you know, letters of intent saying we're interested. Then you come, you meet the team, you go to Old Trafford. They should now be given more kind of books and accounting information, due diligence to go through. And after that, they'll be expected to put forward their official, official And bid. I think, uh, and sorry, this, go, uh, go ahead. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, there's been so much kind of rumour, people talking about what debt, 
who's doing what, but actually nobody knows anything yeah. because there hasn't actually been official bids being put forward yet. So, you know, some people have said, oh, Jim Ratcliffe's not going to pay off the debt. Nobody knows that yet. People are saying, oh, the Qataris are going to do this. They're going to buy all the shares. That's actually not up to them either. They only can do a deal with the Glazers. What happens then with the listing out in America is a whole other thing. So there's loads of things that people are just assuming, people who don't understand. You know, we need to wait and see. And I think hopefully maybe in this international break, we might get a bit more solid kind of information to go off. And then we will go and have a chat about it. Uh, I mean, it's actually a real shame that, as a, you know, we don't, we can't get somebody like Ian Sterling on to come and tell us what his thoughts about them. Yeah, maybe we, I will go and try and get somebody else from Moss. But yeah, he would have been the ideal person for us to get on at this point to come and talk about that kind of owner situation. But you know, there is a lot going on there. I think there was a, Let's see what happens. There was also a report that the initial there was a report that came out a few weeks ago about oh the Glazers might not sell, um, but I think there was a report earlier this week where. They're because uh, they they hired with the Rain Group right to oversee the the sale. I think uh, they got some feedback that was like, "Hey, um, every time you guys announce that you might not sell, the stock plummets and everybody hates you again. <laughs> so you might not want." <laughs> hey, listen, it's an absolutely bog standard yeah, negotiating yeah, yeah, tactic yeah. to go. Oh, listen, we, you you announce you want yeah. to sell the club. If you you know what, we don't actually need to sell. We don't need yeah. to sell. We're okay. This just yeah. everybody, anybody who's selling a house, whatever, they're like, oh, I don't need yeah. to sell. I don't need to sell. You come and make me an offer. It's absolutely standard stuff. Although, you know, we do know that two of the Glazer siblings do have a kind of stronger interest. I think in it's the Joel club and Avram. Than or some or of the Ab- others. She's a Joel, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joel and Avram, true, yeah. they're the ones who have shown up at Old Trafford at some points. We know they are more involved into the day to day. Whereas there's another four of them who have very little interest. I think one of the others has shown up in Manchester at some point. Three of them have never even been to Old Trafford in their whole lives. So, yeah, four of them, as we understand, do definitely want out. So, yeah, there is a bit of a story there. But for me, a lot of this is just open negotiation. And that's what's going on. And as I say, hopefully we might have a bit more solid information coming out about these bids, about what they mean. And, yeah, I mean, a beautiful thing would be if one of these groups... You know, they might make this kind of play to get fan support. They say, listen, yeah, we're open to having a kind of fan ownership stake because that was the thing. Glazers had got to this point where they'd promised a fan share and they hadn't actually pushed through on it. It didn't end up happening. And now they say they're selling the club. Uh, So, yeah, that hasn't happened. And, you know, I could see one of these groups, whether it's Jim Ratcliffe, whether it's uh, Sheikh Jassim, just as a kind of sweetener to get the fans on side saying, oh, you know, yeah, we can sell a couple of percent for the fans as well. Why not? So, yeah, we'll see what happens over there. And I do know the likes of Must are trying to talk to these interested bidders. But uh, really, it's all going to be between Glazers and the bidders who come in there. And we, I understand, actually, that there is maybe a couple of other bidders out there who have not made themselves public, who are also going to be making their visit to Old Trafford. And maybe we'll find out more about that. Uh, but as I say, we'll probably do that in the international break where there isn't the football to talk about, try and do a bit more of a special on what's going on on the ownership situation. Uh, but yeah, for now, that is going to be all for us. As I said, we are going to be putting out these shows on YouTube now. If people watch it on there, we'll keep doing it. If they don't, we'll stick to our old tried and tested podcast forward. So yeah, if you want to see some, put some faces to names, head over to YouTube and you can see us going on over there. Otherwise, stick to Spotify, stick to Apple Pods or wherever you get it. That's cool with us too. Uh, but yeah, we will see you on the next one. And that's good night from me. Good night from me. United Trucks. Thank you for listening to United Hour. Remember to follow us on Twitter 
and on Instagram at United underscore hour. Please take the time to leave a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. United Hour is brought to you by the Sports Social Network and our theme song is by Ancient Feelings. To get in touch, please email unitedhour at gmail.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.